Jackie Patton, and last year I founded Inkblot Creative, a brand new and very different communications and marketing agency. I love a good chat with an interesting human, so on every episode of Series 2, I'm going to be talking to business leaders, creatives, and everyone in between about how they stay connected. In our conversations, we talk about big goals, important relationships, and holding on to a sense of purpose when what's going on in the world right now isn't always in our control. I can't wait for you to join us for these conversations. Tune in every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher for the next free episode. And if you're enjoying these chats as much as we are, I'd really love for you to leave us a review. This week, I'm talking to Caroline Duto, advocate and founder of Ardent Chambers. She's an advocate, a mum, a non-exec director, a business owner. She's really doing it all. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of tea. This is Stay Connected. So Caroline, thank you for joining me. Thank you. I'm really excited. So as you know, on every episode, I start off by asking my guests to bring along an object, something that they feel connected to. And I'm really excited about the object that you've brought along. Will you be able to tell our listeners what it is for me? Yeah, of course. Um, So I've brought with me Elvis today. Um, And for everybody who can't see Elvis, uh, Elvis is a blue elephant, a blue cuddly elephant. Um, Maybe not what you would expect um, from a business owner. But anyway, that's what I brought with me today. And And there's a story behind Elvis. Yeah. Why Elvis? First of all, why the name Elvis? Because that's just great. And then give us a little bit about why you've brought him along. So I can't take the credit for the name. Um, He is from my sister. So last year I became a mum for the first time. And around that time, my sister got her dream of going to live in Lisbon. And unfortunately, it meant that she wasn't going to be here um, when my little boy, Alba, was was born or in the weeks or even months after that. But she came to Jersey just towards the end of my pregnancy before he was born. And she gave us some gifts, one of which was Elvis. And um, throughout those last weeks of pregnancy, probably slightly um, or quite a lot hormonal, I, I really found it quite difficult to leave Elvis, um, even though he wasn't meant for me. So Elvis slept next to my bed. Um, he even came to the hospital. No. <laughs> um, I have I have now relinquished him to my son. Yeah, <laughs> he's now allowed it as it was his gift. <laughs> yeah, as it was his gift in the first place. But um, it helped me at that time to feel connected to my sister when I was missing her. And at the moment with coronavirus, I haven't been able to see her um since since Christmas time and I've missed my opportunity to go and see her in Lisbon this summer so um he's even more important right now oh and he's cute as well and just before we came on I was saying that all the best people have a blue elephant because my childhood toy was also a blue elephant called Flump so you're in the childhood blue elephant toy gang I am very happy about that. I didn't know there was such a club, but I'm ecstatic to be in it. We're starting one now. If you, listener, have a blue elephant as your childhood toy, let us know. You can be part of the gang. So you were just saying there that you've just recently had a little boy. So how old is he now? Uh, he turned one in July. Oh, my goodness. Does so it... we're just at the stage where he is learning to walk and getting quite annoyed with himself. He's so close. <laughs> Oh, that must be so frustrating, especially when they're like almost there, a little bit of a I know. And he currently has um, essentially one word. I mean, he's got mama and dada, but largely car. So everything is car, car, car. Like, oh, that one's not a car, but good job. Love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I guess in the intro, I was saying you're an advocate. So you've got a big career. You're a non-exec director. You run a business. 
you're a mum as well, so there's a lot going on in your life at any one time. But I always like to kind of start off these episodes by talking about kind of where you started. So, you know, Caroline as a little person. Do you think Caroline, when she was little, would have expected to have the kind of life that you've you've created now as a grown-up? Probably not. I mean, a little while ago, I asked my mum when I when I first started talking about becoming a lawyer, because uh, I had my memory of it, but I wanted to know if it, if it was the same as hers. And and she told me a story which I have no recollection of and I'm I'm quite ashamed about in hindsight. <laughs> but she told me that when I was about 13, 14, I asked her which jobs paid a lot of money. And she told me she told me lawyers and, and apparently that was it. Well, I don't remember that at all. Um my recollection of it is somewhat different. So when when I was 16, 17, I, I went to school locally at Holia and um, I wasn't sure what to do. I was an A-level student doing law, history, English, all of which I loved, but I didn't really know where it was taking me. I didn't know what, what which of those subjects I wanted to study. I want, wanted to go to university, but I didn't know what to do. Um, but at that time, I also was taking a law AS level which um, my master plan was that I was going to take that, uh, drop it in after the first year because it was an AS level and carry on with drama, history and English. But I was failing at drama and doing quite well at law. So um, a <laughs> change of plan came about. And, and I was lucky that I had a really good teacher at that time, my law tutor, who took me to one side and said, you know, I really think you should think about going and studying law because you've got, got a bit of a natural aptitude for it. And then at the same time, um, a local um, advocate here in Jersey came to the school and did a mock trial. Oh, wow. Amazing. And I absolutely loved it. And that was probably the turning point, really. From that point onwards, I, I decided I wanted to be um, a courtroom lawyer and and um then I was set on it and that's what I decided to do. And that's what you've done. I know. And then, yeah, skip forward to 25. Um, I, I was called as an advocate of the Royal Court when I was 25 years old. And um, then, you know, pursued that career and carry on doing so and love it. But um, also then realised, well, what what's next? <laughs> because yeah. um, um, I, I reached there maybe earlier than I anticipated. That's amazing though, isn't it? I like that you said you had a you had a teacher who kind of pulled you to one side and said, oh, really think about that. And often when I'm having these conversations with people, there's like that person that will say, have you thought about this? Or that person that kind of nudges you in the right direction. Have you had any other kind of people in your life that have maybe, whether that's career-wise or, or otherwise, that have kind of mentored you or that you felt really connected to because they kind of helped you find a path? Yeah, I have. I definitely have. And, and now we talk about mentors and, and it seems like quite a formal thing. I've never had someone who's been a, a formal mentor or coach, but I've definitely had people who have figured really substantially in my career and who have really molded me. And, and, and even people who came across me and have stayed interested in my career and, and have helped me later on. Um, so I was very lucky. One of the, the early jobs I had was to be assistant to the attorney general and solicitor general. Wow. In Jersey. And at the time, um, the attorney general was William Balash, uh, QC, who went on to become our bailiff. And so for a number of years, I worked as his assistant um, and it, it, it definitely molded me as a lawyer and taught me so much. Um, I'll forever be grateful for it. Um, so definitely, definitely had those experiences. And I think it's so important. It's amazing, isn't it? And do you find yourself 
now at like a later point in your career I say later like you're ancient you're obviously not I know (laughs) but at the point in your career that you're at now do you find yourself trying to seek out opportunities to do similar things for other people yeah absolutely and and quite often it comes across in unusual ways or guises so to give you an example, I, I, I had a case that I did um, a few years ago involving um, a girl who was in care. So one, one of the pieces of work I do is I represent children in care proceedings. And she um, at the time was in care, but she had a desire to go off and, and do things in the hospitality world. And um, she she was in a role um, and a long time after I, I had been involved in her case, she was in a role and she was having some troubles and, and she came to me about it. Um, and you and I both know that we worked on Chamber Connection together and we had connections in the hospitality industry. So I was able to use those to give her suggestions of other people she could go and talk to. So sometimes it comes out in unusual, unusual ways. That's quite nice though, right? That you can... Be someone that when somebody's thinking, oh, I'm a bit stuck, that she's thinking, oh, I know someone that might be able to help with that. That's like a nice place to be, right? Yeah, it is a nice place to be. And she didn't come to me particularly because she thought I had contacts in hospitality or I knew someone I could put her in touch with. Um, She came to me, I guess, because I'd been involved in her life at a previous point where things felt a bit stuck, Um, which is often where you are as a lawyer coming into people's lives at a difficult time. So it's lovely that people come come back to you and you know ask for help if they need it so your career has obviously been quite sounds quite scary from my point of view (laughs) the thought of doing what you do is absolutely mental but which bit scares you all of it just being in court even that is just I don't know how people do those jobs I think it's fascinating but you said so you were doing your a-levels and everything was there a has there ever been a point where once you decided you were going to be a lawyer that you thought, oh, is this the right thing for me? Or has it always been, no, this is this is the right path? No, I don't think. I think once I set my mind on it, I was quite um, determined and dogged about it. If anything, <laughs> those thoughts of those thoughts of perhaps come, you know, 10, 11 years down the track when I've I've started to think, well, how do I evolve this now? And how do I challenge myself now? And how do I use what I've learned perhaps in a different way? Yeah, that's really interesting. And what about um, kind of as that's changing, as that's evolving, Mm -hmm. are there any particular bits of what you do or how your life is at the minute that you think those bits I know are 100% going to be here to stay? Is there anything that you feel really connected to in your role that you kind of don't want to let go of? There's been things that I have felt disconnected to that I let go of. So, so early when I started my, my current practice at Ardent Chambers, I somehow had developed um, a reputation for being a lawyer in divorce and separation cases. I have no idea why. <laughs> um, my, one of my previous bosses is, um, you know, amazing in that area and I'd done a lot of work um, in that area and still does. And I'd worked under her, but fundamentally wasn't, wasn't really my thing. So probably one of the harder and bravest decisions I made when I work, came to work for myself effectively was that I didn't want to do that work but probably the first eight phone calls I received were people asking me to represent them in separation or divorce cases and I turned every single one down um, at a time when I really wasn't sure if I was um, going to transition or earn any money so um, I've let go of the things I felt disconnected to. And do you find it easy to do that or has that Not been always, a challenge? No. Yeah. 
No, of course not. You, especially when you work for yourself, I think, because there's inevitably a bit of you that that worries about, you know, the next month and 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 making sure your business um, is successful and survives and all of those those things. Um, but I'm quite a firm believer in 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 gut instinct, and if I think I'm really I'm really not best placed to do something, even if other people feel otherwise, then then I am, you know, I'm prepared to say, I don't think that's the right direction for me and I'm going to go and do something else. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's kind of one of those things, isn't it? That it's a bigger risk, but the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward almost, if you can stay on the path you're aiming for as opposed to getting, because you just get distracted, right, by other things. Because if you'd have said exactly. yes to those eight, you could have been a very accomplished divorce lawyer by now. <laughs> Well, and that's that's how I looked at it at the time. I thought if I take these eight catch cases, you know, there's a good chance that I'll be doing those cases for the next two years. And then that is my practice established, really. And this is my opportunity to set out what I want to do. And I'd worked before for other people. So I'd I'd done the work that they'd asked me to do and what was needed in their businesses. But this was about me setting my own path. Um, and so I stuck to it at the time and I'm pleased I did. What made you want to kind of go it alone? Making my own decisions, um, kind of living and dying by your own sword, I think <laughs> about it. I'm very comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with making my own decisions. I'm, I'm comfortable that if I mess them up, I have to deal with them. Um, I, I wanted to decide what clients I represented. I wanted to decide how much I charged them, whether I charged them. I, I just wanted to make those decisions and not be beholden to someone else making them. Great answer. That's like the epitome of wanting to do your own thing, isn't it? Just wanting to not have to go, oh, guess we're doing it this way then. Yeah, all those times where you say, all oh, right, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And you think, I really don't want to be doing this. Yeah. And have you found, because obviously one of the, that's like one of the amazing bits about having your own business, but I guess one of the flip sides, something that I've definitely found is finding that balance between home and work and you're a new mum. So how are you finding that? How are you finding being able to kind of stay on the ball at work, but also keep those, you know, the family going in the way you want it to? I've had to think a lot about my time commitments and I'm, I'm someone who's, quite definitely prone to over committing themselves <laughs> um, and I'm probably going to be on a lifelong struggle dealing with that but I, I because once I get involved in something I find it very difficult to then take a back seat if I commit to something I commit to it so the way I've started to look at it is I'm very careful about what I do from the outset so if someone asks me to do something I think really hard about whether I want to do that and what I might miss or what I might not be able to do as a result. And for me, that works better because then if I decided and I commit to it, then I've, I've got to put the time in and, the, you know, that's the direction for me. Whereas probably in the past, I, I would commit to lots of different things and then either over uh, exert myself or feel like I wasn't, wasn't giving things the right amount of time. So that's sort of how I'm trying to manage it, but I'm only a year in and I've got a lot to learn. <laughs> it's just, it's just a, like a whole new identity as well, isn't it? Like when you become a mum or when you change jobs and there's these like moments in your life where your identity shifts and it, it's like a whole new bit of you that you have to get your head around, I guess. It is. And it, and part of it shifts and part of it doesn't. And that's what's strange about it. In some respects, you shift 
to being someone's mum and people forget that you were still the person you were, were, you know, the day before they were born. Yeah. Um, and and then inevitably, yes, some of it does shift and your priorities shift. And it, it's trying to find where the middle of all of that that is and being clear about it in your own mind so that you can be clear about it with other people. And so, for example, um, I don't do many evening networking events anymore. And quite consciously, when I came back to work in January this year, the one thing I said is for the first few months, I'm just not going to worry about networking. Um, as important as it is, I'm just not going to put that on on my plate. I'm going to get home at the end of the day and and do bedtime and then I'll, I'll take it from there. Um, so I'm, I, I've relaxed that a little bit, but um, I, do, I do less rather than more of that at the moment. Um, but, but that will change. Yeah, as, as he gets a little bit older, you might be desperate for a night out with a cocktail and some random people. <laughs> well, I think, you know, you're always slightly desperate for a night out and a cocktail. But, you know, when you're down to making stiff decisions about who it's going to be with, sometimes you decide you want it to be your best friend. Yeah, and not a networking event. <laughs> I can totally understand that one. So talking about kind of spending time with your best friend for a cocktail, Mm. who are the people in your life that you feel most connected to? You mentioned your sister as well at at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, so I've I've got a brother and a sister, um, one of whom um, lives here. My brother lives here with his kids. Uh, My sister lives abroad, as I said. Um, My mum and dad, I'm lucky enough, I've got them in my life. Um, My partner's family, and we've got a really close connection of friends. So I'm really blessed in that I've had the same set of friends really since school. Um, And we're we're largely still intact. Um, Within that group, we've got little sort of subsections of people who spend a bit more time together, but we've also got a, a wider group network which is is brilliant and of course you know that formed when we were maybe 14 15 16 and now they're off all um being incredibly wonderful uh intelligent creative people so I've now got a squad of people who know about all sorts of things that I don't know about great which is also super helpful (laughs) yeah definitely and what do you do to kind of keep so you've got kind of family here, family away, friends here, friends mm-hmm. away. So how do you kind of keep those relationships going? Like, what do you do to make sure that you're like tapped in with everyone? Um, I think it would be fair to say I'm not always terribly good at it. My friends would tell you that I'm prone to, you know, replying to a text two days later. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm the person to ask. What do I try to do? I try to check in. Um, you know, and meet up in person. I'm, I'm so much more of an in-person person. Um, I much rather see people. So that's probably why I'm not very good around text messages. Um, so I'll try to do that. I'll try and arrange to meet up um, and catch up. And I think it's what's wonderful as well. When you've had a set of friends for a long period of time, you can go through little periods mm. without seeing each other. Um, and then you can catch up um, you know, in a wonderful way, because um, you know so much of the background history, you know everyone's circumstances. So catching up is just wonderful. And I've got a group of friends who I went to uni with that I lived with, um, and I still still see them. And I, but for coronavirus, you know, I would normally go over and see them two and three times a year. So it's about those moments, I think, taking the time out to really sit and um, connect, as you would say. And for me, that that needs to be face-to-face. Did you find it hard during lockdown then? Because if you're a face-to-face person, suddenly being in your house all the time makes that quite difficult, right? Yeah. 
Absolutely. And and we're we're still kind of um we're not shielding, but we're still um in more limited uh, social circumstances, <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, so e- even now, you know, the bulk of our socialising is is outdoors and that kind of thing, and much more limited than it would have been, you know, six yeah. to eight months ago. Um, no, I did struggle with it. Um, and one of the first things we did um, was create a second table in our garden so that we had like two tables for socialising um, before before dare I say I think uh, when we were at like the two meter rule we actually set two tables you know I think even more than that six meters apart nothing can go over six meters right but we could actually see people um because it it was yeah it felt hard just seeing people over a screen it's not the same is it like I I find that difficult even like if you're having a zoom or like we are today we're remotely doing this and I can see you still just feels a bit different doesn't it Mm. you don't pick up on everything and when we have to do it for a long period of time, it can be hard. Some people I know, you know, I know people that are thinking I was literally waiting my whole life for this moment. I've been prepping. This is my perfect scenario. I don't have to see anyone. <laughs> but I think I'm a bit like you, completely the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's very true. Some people, it, it, I think it's it's wonderful. And it's yeah, more and more inclined to their natural personality. And I think it's been interesting because I think uh, my partner and I are slightly different in in the sense that he's he's kind of quite happy at home and not so worried about seeing people. I'm like, when can we get people up to the garden? When can we go to the beach and see someone? <laughs> yeah, it's just different people react to it differently, don't they? I guess it's about how you recharge and what you need. And I'm sure lots of people are sat listening to this thinking, yes, I'm in the same scenario with my partner. We're not on the same page <laughs> with that one. And so obviously we know you're an advocate and you have a passion for all things law. Is there anything else, any other kind of passions in your life, anything else that you connect to really strongly? I love being outdoors. I love being in nature. I love being in the sea. Um, I I learned a few years ago to surf, so I'm still uh, trying to learn. (laughs) Oh my God, I want to learn. Right, we should definitely do that. That's a conversation for another time. Right, we'll do that. Okay, (laughs) carrying on. Um, So... Uh, yes, my I am trying to learn to surf. I love paddleboarding. So for me, I guess one of my passions is being outdoors and being in nature. And I've got two golden retrievers, so I like being out walking them on the beach. So I love being by the beach. Yes, and it's we're so lucky, aren't we, in Jersey that it's very easy to find a beach here. Well, exactly, and even more lucky, you know, during lockdown when people were having, you know okay, maybe only brief periods of outdoors activity, but during that time you are able to get to a beach, um, yeah. you know, and people who live elsewhere don't don't have that ability. So, yeah, blessed with many, many beaches. There's such um, a weird thing, I don't know if you think this, but I always think it when I go to the sea, even if you're like, so from where I live, I live in the centre of town here, so my nearest bit of sea is still quite built up. Mm. But even looking out to the sea even if you've got your back to a massive main road there's something about the expanse of that that just made that feel a bit nicer I think when we weren't allowed to be out and about and all over the place makes the world feel a bit bigger and I think it reminds you in a little way that you're a small part of it and sometimes you need to be reminded of that a hundred percent so what about in your in your day-to-day now what's your kind of favorite bit about what you do I still really love going to court. Um, I know that sounds sounds probably quite strange for some <laughs> people, but I do. Um, 
when you start out, it's incredibly nerve wracking. And of course, I still get nervous depending, you know, what's going on in a case, but I really enjoy it. Um, so I really enjoy that aspect of, of my work and I can't really see that changing. That's probably also the hardest aspect to balance with being, um, a mum because mm. court cases are really time intensive and they're, they're intensive for really short periods of time. You go off into like a little, little zone where you're kind of, um, you know, that's all you can think about for a bit. So that, that bit's probably the hardest bit to, to manage, but I still really enjoy it. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I sometimes represent children in care proceedings. It's not the main part of what I do as my job, but, um, it's something I started doing. Uh, when I worked for the Attorney General's Chambers, one of the things I did later in that role was um, I acted for the minister in putting children into care. And it's incredibly tough. You know, you're you're talking about two difficult decisions and neither which of them are very nice. And um, when you're making decisions about where children are safe and where they should live. And so when I came out of that and, you know, but later down the line, um, practice became that children should have a voice in these proceedings, particularly if they're over a certain age. And so I decided to become a children's advocate so that they had the opportunity to voice what they wanted to happen. Whether it happened or not is, is another thing and dependent on all sorts of circumstances, but at least give them the opportunity to feel that they were heard about it. That's amazing, isn't it? I didn't even know that was a thing. That's so cool. Yeah, I think because it happens in private, rightly yeah. so. Um, those proceedings are, are private because they're all about people's, you know, intimate personal lives. But yeah, it is. That's so good. And it must be amazing if you're a child in that kind of situation to feel like somebody's there for you. Like that's that's the reason that person's there, to make sure that you get a chance to say your bit as opposed to everyone talking about you or around you. Well, exactly. And that's what's happening a lot. You don't feel part of the conversation um and being part of the conversation and how to make that happen is different for for different children you know I've I've taken quite young children to court to meet the judge um you know I had one that that asked me in a letter to ask for a space backpack which is probably one of my uh, proudest applications to the court <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> because of course if you ask a seven-year-old what they want in the context of um you know life those are the sorts of answers you're gonna get that's amazing I feel like there's a book in there um, somewhere probably there probably is um I've enjoyed conversations about minions um with former bailiffs and deputy bailiffs <laughs> um who don't know anything about the minions or didn't at the time well that's a shame um, it's good you got to educate them because everyone should watch those movies exactly um exactly so yeah they they bring about some precious moments and what do you what do you see yourself doing in the future then? So you mentioned before that you kind of get to that point in your career where you're like, oh, what else? Like, what more? Have you got any idea of where that might take you? Yeah, so at the moment I'm I'm focused on expanding my non-exec director work. I've, I've really enjoyed using what I know to work with other businesses and there's a, a lovely blend, I think, because I'm a, I am a business owner um, but also a lawyer, a blend of those skills um, comes really well. I've worked with a number of shareholder-owned businesses in particular. And I think that really resonates because I understand what it is like to have a business and the challenges that you can face. So I'm not coming at it from an unrealistic unre perspective. 
and I can also weave the legal skills in as well. That's amazing. And and do do you have any particular way that you kind of keep your eye on the prize when there's something you're going after? Is there anything you do to kind of keep yourself focused or is it a case of you just kind of work towards it each day? How do you kind of stay connected to those goals? I think, I don't know if this is actively or subconsciously, but the beginning of each year, I normally think about a few things I want to do. And I try and not, not, make that too broad because I think too many goals um more risk of um achieving none of them mm-hmm. and so you know I sit down and I think about all the different areas of my life and what I'd like to do and what I'd like to plan um for the year ahead and I start there and then I I think I just throughout the year I kind of check, check in and say where am I with that and what have I achieved and what what am I looking to go to and where's next it's a good way of doing it, isn't it? But like you say, important not to end up with a list as long as your arm and then no hope of ever getting anywhere near them. Yeah. And recently, I mean, I, I wrote down at some point during lockdown, I was writing down on a piece of paper, you know, all the different things around non-exec director, directorships that uh, I could be doing. And, and and I went back to it and it's like a, an entire side of A4. And I was like, Caroline, you're never going to do all of these things. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is lovely, but let's be realistic about this. Um, let's try three. Um, let's yeah. start with three and take it from there. We'll just keep this list and we'll come back to it. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what that list evolves to, right? Because if you went back to it in six months or a year's time, there might be things on that list that you think, why did I even write that down? That's not important. And then there might there be already other- is. <laughs> is there already stuff? Yeah, I already. I'm looking at. It and I'm like, why? Why did you think that was important? And yeah, some of it is, I guess. Yeah, just your thought processes move on, or you have a conversation. It sparks you off in a different direction. And what about personally? Have you got any big goals personally for the next year? Yeah, the, yeah. The big goal I set at the beginning of the year, and it's it's been a little bit on hold um is uh house renovations so i bought property a few years ago uh, yeah i'm just gonna add that to the mix <laughs> throw it in there you've not got anything else um, going on no nothing else to do um but i really i really like interior design um oh I'm interesting fascinated by it i'm not artistic on any level i can't draw um I can't even cut straight with a pair of scissors to be honest but I can imagine spaces um so I I like that and I'm looking forward to realizing it and seeing it become a reality have you been Um, planning it or is it just kind of do you wing it or have you got like no been planning so we've started off you know with everything you need just to get the rest of the building up um so it's a renovation of my existing house and then adding an extension to it so starting off with the building and the plans um but now it's you know it's firmly in the imagination camp and i i've got a a book in which i keep pictures of things i like and images of things i like a mood board for houses oh i love Um, that yeah, so when I see something I like, I'll cut it out and stick it in and circle it and say what I like about it so that I can remember in six months' time. That's such a good idea. Thanks. What is it that you... Do you find that there's like a theme? Do you have certain things that you kind of are like, ooh, every time, and then when you look through, you're like, I've obviously got a vibe? Yeah, absolutely, and that's partly why I do it, because I can see, you know, where where the trend is going. You know, my my obsession with having uh, copper fittings in my kitchen is quite clear. <laughs> my thing's brightly coloured velvet. Oh. Whenever I look at furniture, it's always some multicoloured velvet number, and oh, then I'm like, oh, apparently that's my thing. Who knew? Is there anything that you 
in your life, it could be anything, people, projects, anything that you want to invest more in, in the next kind of year? I want to invest a little bit more in making sure that I have a little bit of time out. Um, that's a very selfish thing to say. No, it's it? not. Don't um, be, don't feel bad about that. <laughs> because um, obviously the, the last year, my main priority really has been my little boy. Um, but I know that in order to go on and do the best things for him and the best things that I want to do for my career and after lockdown and all of that, um, my next priority is to have sort of a few snippets of time out so that then I can reimagine what it is um, I want to do and dedicate to them. Yeah, there's something really energizing about time off, isn't there? Like, even if it's an after, even if it's an hour, just where you allow yourself to to not be doing the thinking, you almost get re-energized, don't you? And you come back with that kind of new sense of purpose. So, exactly. And I think, yeah, sometimes it can bring you clarity. And yeah, so I'm feeling I'm feeling in need of that little point. Um, and then I'm ready and excited to get on with all things work and house. I'm, I'm going to have to see this mood board book at some point. We're going to have to get oh, that really? I, I love stuff okay. like that. We're going to have to have a chat about that. Well, it's been so lovely to speak to you and to meet Elvis, of course. We can't forget about him. If anyone wants to find out more about you or about Arden or about anything you're doing, where can they find you? So either on our website, www.ardentchambers.com or we are on LinkedIn and Twitter, so you can find us there. Fantastic. And I'll put all of those details in the show notes so that everyone can find you and come and speak to you if they've got any questions. And it's been so lovely to chat. It's been lovely to talk to you and see you, even if virtually. (laughs) See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. You can tune in every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher for the next free episode. And why not subscribe so you don't miss out? If you like it, then don't forget to leave us a five-star review because they really do help. And head over to Instagram at ink underscore blot underscore creative to carry on the conversation. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to stay connected. Stay connected.